Hello, everybody. My name is David Waldrop. How are we feeling today? I would love to learn how to talk with that kind of voice. Do you guys love that voice or what? That's from one of our own family members right in here. And man, I wish I sounded like that. You'd probably listen a lot better if I did. But hey, uh, I uh, just want to say uh, a huge shout out before I get into all the introductions. I just want to welcome uh, my Germantown family that's watching 700 miles away. I get to serve as the campus pastor of I would, what I hope that some of you would get to meet, just some of the most amazing people on the planet. So if you're in the room at Regal Germantown, I love you so much. South Metro Atlanta, can we make some noise for our Germantown, Maryland family that's watching? And if you're tuning in online, good for you. Good for you. You're, you're zoned in. You're, you're locked in. We love having our online campus family. And then for anyone watching that's serving in our military or as a first responder, listen, you are a hero to us. We honor you at the beginning of every single gathering because we just recognize that you're modeling what Christ did, laying his life down for others. You're doing the same thing. And so one more time, as a, as a big round of applause of appreciation, can we welcome all of those who are serving our country right now? that are watching. Love having you in our family. Uh, I am uh, standing up here in, in place of Pastor JC. Uh, he texted me uh, yesterday morning uh, that he just wasn't feeling well and just wanted to be precautious. And so I jumped on a flight, worked on a message until about 2.30 a.m. And so there is a slight chance that I might fall asleep right now. Okay, so I, come on caffeine, right? Get in my system here. So uh, I, I'm very excited to preach a word, but uh, let's just continue praying for Pastor JC as a, a speedy recovery there. And uh, I, I'm honored. Uh, I want to tell you about one thing that's going on before we get into our series. And that's, we are in right in the middle of what we call Deeper 21. It's where we set aside 21 days to, to go deeper in prayer. And uh, at both campuses, we are seeing some amazing things happening. And I want to encourage you to jump in. It's not too late. Here at the South Metro Atlanta campus at, at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., uh, right here in this auditorium, we're praying every single day for your needs because prayer changes things. Really believe that. In fact, how many of you have already seen God moving on your situations? Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. And then at our Germantown campus, uh, we are meeting at our Clarksburg office space at, at 6 a.m. every single morning. So please, please join us. Love to see you there. Prayer changes everything. And in fact, today, as we continue our, our Summer on the Mount series, we're going to continue this theme of prayer because the passage I get to preach on today, finally, in this series, it's not a passage where we, I have to preach about some hard truths, okay? I get to talk about some fun stuff. I get to talk about prayer and how powerful it is and how it changes things. And I'm glad because the last few times I've preached, it's been a little bit different, all right? So uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, when I was talking to Pastor JC yesterday about uh, some of the thoughts that he had in relation to prayer, uh, I can't take the credit for this analogy, and so he, he'll get the shout-out for that. I don't want to plagiarize. Uh, but he said that prayer is a lot like flossing, and uh, it's something that we all know is important, okay? It, it is, right? You know that. Anyone who has teeth, okay, knows that, that flossing is important, and the same thing is true of prayer. I think any Christian would be willing to admit, yeah, prayer, that's important. Another thing that, that prayer has in common with flossing is that it, it can be pretty inconvenient at times, right? You got stuff to do. Your, your, your late night routine doesn't allow you to floss, and maybe your early morning routine doesn't allow you to, to get up and, and pray and spend some time in it. Or maybe it's not that it's an inconvenience to you, but flossing and prayer, sometimes it's just easy to forget, right? Life gets busy. 
Things get in the way. Uh, another thing about prayer and flossing, this is something I've learned not only in ministry, but when I went to my dentist. Another thing that prayer and flossing have in common is that a lot of people pro approach it incorrectly. Uh, I got schooled by my dentist at my last cleaning that I've been brushing my teeth wrong for 30 years. And uh, I was like, wow, that is mind-blowing to me. And the same thing with flossing. And what we're going to talk about today even is that a lot of people approach prayer incorrectly. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Let me go a little bit deeper in this analogy of prayer and flossing. Uh, mo this, this might hit you, okay? This might be one of those daggers, but I love you, okay? I'm your friend, okay? But I do love you. But, but when it comes to prayer and flossing, most people pretend they do it more than they actually do. Oof. Does that hurt a little bit? Ah, kind of hurt me, too. It hurts me when I say it, right? We pretend that we floss a lot more than we do. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, I got lots of floss in there, you know? I, same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I pray, right? I think I, like, nodded at God today at some point, right? We pretend that we're doing it more than we actually do. Two more little thoughts about this, because I want this to kind of get our wheels turning in this early morning crowd here. Most people do it, whether it's prayer or flossing, most people do it to avoid getting in trouble at your checkup, right? You're only gonna floss, like you know, you. oh man, I got a dentist appointment in two days and you're just grinding your gums away. It's like, oh, they're gonna know. They're gonna know I haven't been flossing, right? And the same thing can be true of prayer sometimes. It's that, oh man, is it Easter season? Oh gosh, I better, I better pray. Oh, Christmas is coming up, man, I need to pray. We're in 21 days of prayer. That's right, I haven't prayed in a couple of weeks, days, months. So it's something we do, right? We, and we do it just to avoid getting in trouble, which is one of those wrong approaches to prayer to begin with. And then the last one is this, and this is where we'll, we'll really unpack this. One thing that prayer and flossing has in common is that the longer you go without doing it, the quicker decay sets in. The longer you go without flossing, the reason you have cavities, probably because you're not flossing. And the reason that you feel turmoil on the inside is because it's been a long time since your soul heard you cry out to something other than yourself or your money or your friends for help. Your soul is decaying because it wants to hear you cry out to the God that's actually able to do exceedingly and abundantly, right? That's what we want, but we stop doing it for whatever reason. And so today, uh, the passage we're going to read is Jesus talking about prayer again. And if you're just joining us uh, in the middle of a series, we're on the series called Summer on the Mount. And this is where uh, we are just unpacking Jesus's first sermon ever being recorded as being preached. And the passage we're going to read talks about prayer. And he's been talking about prayer multiple times throughout these last few weeks. So I encourage you to go back and read if you haven't already. So let's jump right into the conversation. We're in Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 here. We'll go through all of it, and then I'll unpack a few thoughts. This is Jesus talking. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Thank you. That's some good promises right there. Which of you, if your son asks, so he's get, he gets personal with him. He said, listen, you got kids, right? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, 
though you are evil. <laughs> and I, I love that he just slips that in there. If you then, by the way, you remember you're evil, right? Remember what I said a few weeks ago in, the, in that whole sermon there? He says, just remember, you're evil, okay? I, I love that he throws that little comment in there. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Come on, do you think you're a better gift giver than God? And that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, why are you thinking you're a better dad than he is, right? And so he's giving us these three verbs that we need to pay close attention to today. And this is how we'll unpack it. The first verb he says is this. How are we going to approach God through prayer? We're going to ask, right? We've got to ask. And then another part of the Bible that says we have not because we ask not. Right, And then sometimes we, when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. So we're going to talk about how we need to ask. And then we're going to talk about how we need to seek. All right, Approaching God means we got to seek God. And then another part of this passage talked about how we need to knock and the door will be opened. So how are we going to approach God? We're going to ask. We're going to ask, seek, and knock. And I love that because today is going to be all about how can we pray and how do we approach God by asking? Now listen to me. The prayer or the, uh, the passage that I just read through is one of the most easily misinterpreted passages in all of Scripture. In fact, I would be willing to bet that if there are those of you in here that are skeptical of the Christian faith or maybe if you're watching online you're not a believer at all or maybe you're sitting there at Regal Cinemas right now and you're just not sure how you feel about this God thing, I'm willing to bet that part of it is because this passage has been misinterpreted by you or by some of your former teachers and it's caused us to really put some things into question. So we're going to back up, we're going to read this a little bit slower and we're going to dissect it today. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now listen to me. Some people, this part right here, ask, and it'll be given to you. This is the part, and we're going to unpack this in a second. This is the part that made you start questioning your faith. is because you asked God for something, and he didn't give it to you. You asked him to do something, and it didn't happen the exact way. And so you're trying to reconcile right now. But, but the Bible says if you ask, it'll be given to you. And I did ask, and it wasn't given to me. How can I reconcile this? We're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit further. But this is what happens. And, and in the next verse, in verse 8, you can start to see the regression a little bit. Uh, this is the first time I ever noticed this in this passage. It says, for everyone who asks receives, right? A lot of people are asking God for stuff. And then he switches it up, and he says, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What it seems like Jesus is saying is that there's a whole lot more people asking God for things than there are people actually seeking him and actually knocking on the door to find him. We're perfectly good talking to him and making our requests known. That's pretty much the easy part. Right, Even people that don't really believe in God have done that at some time. God, please, I didn't study for this test. Let me pass it. God, please get me out of this situation. But so many fewer people are seeking and finding. And I want to figure that out. Why? Why are there less people seeking and finding and knocking and getting doors opened? And I started to ponder on this and I started to think about this. And this is something I want you to remember here today. 
The way you see God will determine if or how you seek God. I think the reason that so many people stop at just asking at random times when they need something is because they see God in an incorrect way and it has changed the way that they seek him or if they even seek him at all. And so many, and listen, today I, I, I love talking to the skeptics or the unbelievers in the room or watching online. Listen, if you have walked away from God, it is unnecessary Okay, you've walked away from the wrong perception of God. And what I want to do today is I want to show you that God is so good and he's so worth staying with him and not walking away from him today. The way you see God will determine if and how you seek God. So let's try to see God the right way. So this is how how I'm going to lay this message out today. We're going to first figure out how not to ask God to ask, seek, and knock to God We're going to figure out how we should ask God, and then I'm going to tell you, and I can't wait to get to this part. This part's going to be good, okay? This is a Pentecostal church. Y'all better start shouting when I get to that part there. I want to just, I want to like get to the end right now, right? I want to have the dessert before the meal, but just, you just wait for that, okay? So this is the flow of what we're going to do today. Now, here's what we're going to talk about. How not to ask God. What are the wrong ways that we can see God, the wrong ways that we've interpreted this passage that have led us to stop seeking God or to seek him in an incorrect way. So the first one is this, how not to ask God. Do not ask God as a genie. Okay, here, here's what I mean by that. I, I, I put all these kind of uh, little titles together because, listen, these are the gods that people are walking away from that that's not the real God anyways, So you've left the faith unnecessarily. If we see God as a genie, we'll say things like this. Well, God will always give people whatever they ask for. We pigeonhole this verse into meaning, if, if this verse is true, then every time you ask for something, God has to do it exactly that way. And so many people have walked away from the faith because this was their belief. And I'm telling you today, that is not what this passage is communicating today. It's not saying that God is your genie and that the moment that you ask him, he has to give you, you you can strong arm him into giving you whatever you want. Listen to me, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. If you've ever watched a movie where there was a genie or like a wish granter and the person gets exactly what they ask for, you've seen in the movie, it always ends up poorly. Like, it always goes poorly from them. And as a parent, come on, all the parents in the room, you know this. It would be very unloving for you to give your child everything that they have ever asked for, right? They would be shooting off fireworks in the living room, right? They'd be on, I mean, it would just be, it would be chaos. It would be a disaster. Because kids don't know what they actually want. And listen to me. If you think you're a lot wiser than kids, how much more wise is our Father in heaven than us? The distance between him and us is great. So listen, we don't know what we want. And more importantly, we don't even know what we need. Right? You've heard the old, and I'm in the South right now, so Germantown, you might not get this reference, but I'm in the South right now. Remember the old Garth Brooks song? It's hard not to, not to mention it today. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. 
Some of God, if I could sing like Mike, I would sing it right now. But some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. The things you've asked God for, and I want you to think about this. Make this personal today. Think about some of the things you've asked God for before. That loser that you thought you wanted to marry, right? Come on. You, you, you thought you wanted that job, and then you realize, oh, Lord, no, I do not want to be there. All the things that God said, listen, I know you think this is what you need, but I'm going to give you something better. That's what he is. Thank God that he's not a genie. Thank God that he doesn't just automatically respond every time that we cater to a whim. Listen, he's a good God, and he gives good gifts, not just automatic responses. And so don't see God as your genie. Don't ask God as a genie. Don't walk away from the faith. Let me say it to the cameras in the back. Don't walk away from the Christian faith because your prayer got answered differently than you wanted to. God is still good and he's got a better plan. And I know you can't see it right now. Just like the two-year-old can't see why they're not allowed to touch the hot stove. God has a better plan and more protecting plan. And I don't want you to leave the faith because of it. He's not a genie. Another way not to ask God. Don't ask God as a boss. Don't, don't just turn God into your boss. Now, again, he should be the Lord of your life, and I'm not saying get outside of, of his will, but what I am saying is this. When you think of God as a boss, you'll think of prayer like this. Well, God gives good people whatever they ask for. Here's, here's what bosses do. Bosses give bonuses and raises to the highest performing people right? So if you perform well enough, then you can get a blessing, right? If you give enough money in the offering, then you get blessed. If you do this, and it's a slippery, slippery slope, and I, I don't have enough coffee in my body yet to talk about the prosperity gospel, but I want you to, to, to know something here. Your best deeds, and this is not my words, this is the gospel, your best deeds are like filthy rags to him, you, do you really think that he's impressed that you helped that lady walk across the street? I mean, come on. Don't try to impress and, and strong-arm God with your good behavior so that he could give you whatever you ask for. Listen, he's, he's way better than your boss. Don't make it all about your performance. Prayer is not this performance review where you say, okay, God, if I've been a good enough person, you should do that for me. Why? There's no love in that. That's contractual. You make it seem like God owes you something because of your good behavior. And we know that that's not true. God owes us nothing at all. And if you think, mm, if you think God owes you something, you will never have a deep relationship with Christ because he owes you nothing. His grace is sufficient. His blood covered your sins. And you need that more than you need anything else. Thank you, Jesus. He is not our boss. Let's not treat him like that. Another way not to ask God. Number three, do not ask God as an investor, okay? Here, here's the mentality behind this, all right? When we approach God, when we ask, seek, and knock to God the investor, this is what we start thinking. God gives people whatever they ask for if they pray it persuasively enough, right? So if they, if they get the wording right, or if they're you know, if they get that, that fire in them when they pray and you can just feel the passion, then, then God has to answer it because if he's an investor, when we do our sales pitch, if the sales pitch sounds good enough, then maybe the investor will buy in. Maybe the investor will put a little bit of resources behind what that prayer is asking for. Listen, 
don't come before God the way that those uh, startup businesses walk into the Shark Tank. Come on, any, anyone like Shark Tank? I, lo- I feel like I could start a business. I have no invention, I have no product, and I have no skills. But what I do have is all 12 seasons of Shark Tank right up here. And some people walk into the Shark Tank and I'm like, come on, man. You knew they were going to ask you that. How did you not have an answer for that? And so when we treat God like this, when we say, okay, I'm going to approach God. I'm walking into the shark tank. I've got to get this prayer right because I get one shot at this. I'm going to approach him, and hopefully I can be persuasive enough to convince him to buy in to my will for my life. Do you really think, okay, and listen, I'm guilty of doing this as well, okay? So this is not me being better than you. This is me, this is us, right? This is an us thing. But do we really think that we can phrase our prayer in a way to make God say, oh, well, I never thought about it like that. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't realize you needed the money that bad. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, you make a compelling argument. Okay, he can be your husband, right? Like, that is not the way that prayer is supposed to work. And listen to me. If you, if you see God as an investor, you'll stop seeking him because you won't be able to find a reason for him to bless you, right? If you can't think of a good reason to justify your request, you won't even bring it to him. And he's saying, listen, I'm not your investor. I'm not your boss. I'm not your genie. Here's another one. Let's not ask God like an ambulance. Okay, now listen, again, please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not, look, God is our ever-present help in our time of need, okay? And he will be there But what some people stop doing is they stop seeking God because they start thinking things like this. Well, God gives people whatever they ask for if it's a serious enough request, right? So I'll seek God whenever it's urgent. Like, I don't want to bother him. I mean, it's just just like this little headache that I have. Like, I don't want to ask him for healing. There's way more urgent needs out there, right? There's people that are hungry. There's people in abusive situations. I, I feel guilty praying for my small prayer. Listen to me. Bring all your requests to God. He's not just an ambulance that only shows up if it's serious enough, right? He is your ever-present help in your time of need, no matter how big or small the need is. And let me give you a newsflash, okay? Newsflash, even the small requests are still too big for you to handle without him, okay? You can't handle the small things without him either. Remember, he's holding everything together by the word of his immovable power, which means if he took his presence away from your life, you would cease to exist right now. He's holding you together. There is no request too small for him because you can't accomplish it without him. Not really, not in a godly way. So get God in the mix. Don't leave him. Don't stop seeking him because you don't feel like your requests are urgent enough. Now, one more, one more thought on this, and then I'll move to my, to my next kind of thinking here. This next one I'm going to say, how not to ask God. This one is, uh, this one, this one's going to sting a little bit. Number one, it, it's, again, I don't have enough coffee to go down the theological rabbit trail that this is going to pop up in your head, but this one right here is, I feel like it's going to hit home for some people. How not to ask God. Do not ask God as a dictator. 
Okay, again, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. God is the ruler of everything. He holds the world in his hands. But there are too many people that have stopped seeking God because they say this, all right? Well, God determines everything. So there's no point in asking for anything. This is a dictatorship, not a democracy. So why should I even ask? It's already been determined. What's even the point of praying? God already knows what's going to happen. And let me tell you, it's true that God knows everything that has happened and that will happen, right? He's holding time in his hands right now. He invented time. So he can see a thousand years ago, right now, and a thousand years from now, all at the same time. He does know everything that's going to happen. And he never changes. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But this word determines is a key word. Because God has determined that he wants to give you the answer to that request. And the way, he hasn't just determined what he wants to do. He's determined the way that he wants to bring it about in your life. And he has determined that through prayer, we can have access to the fullness and the richness of God's will for our life. He said, listen, I want them to have this. But I want them to have this through prayer, through their dependence on me. Because through prayer, we start to get this, this holy just reverence for God building up. The point of prayer, if you're asking what's the point of prayer, let me tell you exactly what the point of prayer is. Number one, prayer will strengthen your relationship with God. Okay, When you ask someone for something, you start to build this relationship. Communication builds relationships. And God wants to have a relationship with you. Right? If, he just, if you just automatically had everything you ever wanted, there would be no need for a relationship. That's why Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They didn't understand the value of the relationship that they had. They wanted what they wanted, which was sin. Okay, so that disproves right there. If you think that, you know, if, uh, you, know, if you think that you would have, if you were in the garden, you would have done it differently. No, you wouldn't have, Right? If you think that if your, all of your questions and requests were always answered that you'd be a Christian, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. They already proved that. They lived in utopia, and they still sinned because they didn't value the relationship they had with God. And that's what prayer can do. But it doesn't only build our relationship with God. It builds our reliance on God. Right? It reminds our soul the fact that we're praying means, okay, I can't muster up the strength on my own. So I'm going to lean on God. I'm going to rely on God. And I told you this earlier. Your soul is desperate to hear that you're going to finally go to a solution that actually works. Not to another relationship. Not to the bottom of the bottle. Not to those prescription drugs. Not to whatever that vice is. Your soul is desperate to hear you calling out to God because then your soul can can be at peace because your soul says, finally, finally you're going to the source. It's like whenever me and my wife are driving and we get lost and she's like, just use the GPS. And I'm like, I know where I'm at, woman. I know how to get where I'm going. And when I finally admit, okay, you know what? Maybe I am lost, right? Maybe I don't have a clue where I am. I'll put in the GPS. And she says, thank God we're going to get out of this situation. That's what your soul is doing right now. Your soul is saying, please cry out to God. Please talk to him. It builds your reliance on him. And I told you this. God has determined to release his will into your life through prayer. 
you want God's will in your life, he said, look, just pray for it and just ask, your kingdom come, your will be done. So he's not this dictator. He wants you to come to him. He wants to be the solution for you. But if you see him as this dictator and you say, well, everything's already determined, so what's the point? You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. He has hope and answers and a perfect will for your life, but it is on the other side of your prayer. It's on the other side of your surrender to him. I wish I could spend a lot more time on that, but I can't. But can we give God some praise that he's not like any of these things? So I want to look at uh, another part of the text right here, and uh, this, is, this is verse 11. Let's come back to what we, what we mentioned earlier. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, ask, seek, knock? Jesus, throughout this entire sermon, again, go back and listen online or go back and read the whole Sermon on the Mount. He just keeps on wanting to emphasize that God is our Father. He keeps trying to drive this point home. So we know how not to ask God. So let's say, how should we approach God? How should we ask, seek, and knock? As a father, God is not a boss. He's not a genie. He's not your investor. He's not your dictator. God is your Father. And if you could see him as your father, I am telling you, your prayer life would be so less stressful. It would actually be enjoyable. Now listen to me. I know that for so many of you, and this breaks my heart every time I talk to someone that does not have a good picture of what a father is like. There are so many of you, man, I'll I'll get emotional right now just thinking about it, that you have grown up in situations where this this word right here is not emotionally neutral, that this word means pain. And listen, I know that that's going to be hard to overcome, but you've got to understand this. The father that you've always wanted, whether you had a good one, a bad one, or an absent one, the father that you've always wanted is your heavenly father. And when you can start to see him this way, that you're not an employee, and you're not a slave, and you're not just a subject, but that you're a son, and that you're a daughter, you'll start to see prayer like this. God gives, and I'm stealing this quote from Timothy Keller, by the way, I'm not, I don't like to plagiarize. I just, it didn't fit on the slide, you know, formatting and all that stuff. But Tim Keller, good way to go on this quote. God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. That is prayer. Remember, your kids don't know what to ask for, right? So, A genie will give them exactly what they ask for, no matter how ridiculous it is. But a father says, okay, I know you want to, you know, light the fireworks in the living room, but what you really need is a hobby, okay? What you really need is something to do. So let's go play catch, okay? Or let's go to a wide open field. Let's go, let's go do this. A father is able to discern past the naivety, all right? I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now because I have a microphone and I've said so, right? A father can see past how naive a child is and give them what they would have asked for if they knew everything that he knew. And it doesn't say, by the way, let me back up right here. It doesn't say that your father gives the automatic answers. It doesn't say that he gives exactly what you asked for. It says that he gives you good gifts. So meaning if he said no to your request, that's because your request wasn't good. 
all right? You're, you're not good at requesting. I'm not either, right? This is where we're at. So if he says no, and then he gives you a good gift, it's because you were asking for a bad gift. So he's going to give you a good gift, not the exact answer, but he's going to give you something better than what you even thought you needed. If we would just ask him, if we could just ask him. So now, here's what this means. Oh, here's what this means. If God always met your expectations, he would never get to exceed your expectations. And there are so many of you that, that think, oh man, why isn't God doing what I'm saying? And if God would just always do what I ask, listen, if he always did this, he could never do this. He could never blow your mind. And just as a testimony, anyone in Germantown in this room right now, if God has ever exceeded your expectations, can you give him praise right now for like five seconds? Lord, thank you for exceeding my expectations, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Especially for my wife. Come on, somebody. I, I, that blew my mind right there. So he's, he's good. But listen, if he always meets your expectations, he'll never, ever exceed it. Now, all right, we've talked about how not to ask God. And we've talked about how to ask God. Now, I, I can't wait. And I might be, I hope I'm not overhyping this. I'm just really excited to show you what God showed to me. Because this, is, uh, this got me fired up. And it might be because I'm just a Bible nerd. But I want you to get excited too. Okay, so, so walk with me here. i got to read this verse. And i got to show you something. Because this is cool. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Now, I need to give you a little bit of context here. There's this famous story, maybe you didn't grow up in church, and so uh, I'll, I'll brief it to you real quick, but if you did grow up in church, you've heard the story where one time Jesus fed 5,000 people, and he, and he gave them a bunch of bread, and he gave them a bunch of fish. Uh, there was a, another time where he was sitting down at the Last Supper, and he said, this bread is my body that's going to be broken for you. And then a couple days after he, he rose again, he sat down and he ate fish on the beach, with his disciples. And so there's a lot of references to bread and fish in the story. Now listen to me. Here's something you've got to see here. A few months after, and someone can play these keys. I, I, I'm starting to feel it right now. Come on, somebody. Someone can play this piano right now before I start shouting in this place. Listen, a few months after he gave bread to 5,000 people, and, th and one day later after he became the bread for his people, we asked for bread, and then he got a stone. He was crucified on a cross and buried behind a stone. And then there's this, there's this Genesis 3 prophecy where right after Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, there's this little, there's this, it's one sentence, and it's this little prophecy, and it says that the snake will bruise the heel of the son of Adam and Eve, but that he will stomp its head. So it will be this exchange where the snake bites the heel of the son of Adam, but the son of Adam will stomp the snake's head. And listen to me, in the moment when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, right after, just a few months after giving us what we really wanted, which we didn't want a savior, we just wanted bread and fish. And that's why he was frustrated after he fed 5,000 people. A few months later, he goes to a garden after giving us fish, he got a snake. He was snake bitten in the garden, stomping the head of the enemy, representing his crucifixion 
and then his resurrection. So listen to me. This passage is saying that your heavenly father won't give you a stone and he won't give you a snake. But instead what he did was he gave his only begotten son a stone that was blocking the tomb. And he gave his only begotten son a snake that would bite his heel and bruise it. But I'm telling you the reason that you should ask God, what's the advantage? I'll tell you the advantage. Three thoughts. I want you to see this. We can ask for a feast for all the bread and all the fish that we want because Jesus was given a stone and a snake. We get a feast because he got a stone and a snake. And if that's not a good enough hope for you, let me tell you this. We can ask for salvation because Jesus stomped on the snake. The snake bite didn't kill him. It couldn't latch on. The poison couldn't get in. It killed him, but he rose again, defeating the serpent, the same serpent that was in the garden that caused us to fail, bit him, and then he overcome it. So we can overcome all of the penalty of our sin. The snake brought about a sinful nature in the garden. And then Jesus stomped that snake, giving us salvation. We couldn't legislate this kind of freedom. There's no government policy that could give you this kind of freedom. It can only come from the Jesus that overcomes the snake. So I know that life bites you, and I know that it's hard. And listen, I know the situation is painful, but salvation has come through it. You'll never get the snake if you'll follow the Jesus that already stomped on his head. Last one. We can ask God for resurrection. We can ask and seek and knock for resurrection because Jesus rolled away the stone. He took away the sting of death. You know what that means, the sting of death? That means that before Jesus did this, that when someone died, they just stayed dead. And it hurts. And listen to me, if you're, if you're out there and you're skeptical about the Christian faith, I... I don't even want to insult your worldview. I understand you've been through some pain, but I don't know how it could be any better by not having this kind of hope. The sting of death still exists. And not only the sting of death, even the sting of life. Life has to be meaningless if there is no God. You have to have the guts to admit, like Frederick Nietzsche, who uh, disagree with him completely, but respect his boldness and his honesty that life is meaningless, charity is pointless, loving and compassion, it's pointless because there is no God. And you've gotta understand that if you resist this, if you don't approach this kind of God that did this, you're taking one step away, not only from death being meaningless, but life being meaningless. If you don't believe in God, and listen, I, I say this in the most respectful way, and I'd love to do coffee with you if we could. If you, if you don't believe in this kind of God, you have to have the guts to admit that you don't matter. <laughs> that all we are is matter, and therefore we don't matter. But the sting of death was gone because Jesus showed. He proved it. He said he was going to be crucified, and he said he was going to rise again, and then he did it. Like the stone was rolled away. You'll never get the stone for a long time, a period a period of time. But if Jesus rolled the stone away and the same power that raised him from the dead lives in you, then your stone has been rolled away too. There is hope in a Jesus that rolled away the stone and stomped the snake. And I just want to invite you today to evaluate this. Do you have this kind of hope? Do you approach God this way? 
don't stop asking. Please don't stop asking him. Keep asking him. Even if you're still working out your motives, keep asking. Please don't stop seeking. Please do not stop seeking God. Don't give up on the faith. And listen to all of you watching online, Germantown in this room. Listen, it's time to get back to church. Listen, do it in a safe way. Stay consistent. But I'm telling you, please don't give up on this. If you stay stagnant, you will stop seeking. I don't want you to stop, please. And it's not about, listen, and if it's not go church, go to another church. It's not about that. I don't want you to stop seeking God because this is your hope. But if you stop seeking God, that stone stays there. And the snake bite does kill us. Don't stop seeking. And listen, don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. Thank God that he used a door analogy. You're going to knock at some doors. And if you don't hear the voice of God saying, come in, thank God. Because you have no idea what's waiting on the other side of that door. But when we can knock on the door that God is behind, he says, yeah, yeah, come in. I'm glad you asked. I've been waiting for you to ask for years now. And I have something for you. This kind of hope. Put your hope in Jesus. Approach Jesus. Ask, seek, knock, and the, and the door will be opened. I want to give everyone in this room at Regal Cinemas in Germantown and online, I want to give you an opportunity right now to embrace this kind of hope. If you've been skeptical of the Christian faith, if you've never embraced it in your life, or maybe you've been living and, and you've been asking, but you've stopped seeking and you've stopped knocking a long time ago, I want to give you this opportunity. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking. We're not trying to embarrass anyone or exploit anyone. We want to give someone hope and a freedom. If you're in here today and you would say, I want this kind of hope. I want the hope of heaven. I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm not just a good person that makes mistakes. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that he did this. I'm not just going to believe because the pastor put together a convincing argument. I believe because it actually happened. I believe that it's true. I want to put my faith in him because it's true. And I'll never stop knocking. I'll never stop looking for that hope. If that's you today and you're ready to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior for the first time or you're coming back to him, I just want you to slip your hand up right now, Germantown and Maryland, all across this place. Thank you for your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hands going up everywhere. Listen to me. I want all of us to pray this right now. This is a sermon about prayer. So what if we turn this house into a house of prayer right now? Can we start talking to God and just thanking him for the grace? Start repenting of the moments that we've made it all about our performance or our expectations. Lord, we come to you right now, God, repentant of our sin. God, we come to you confessing that you are the risen Christ who stomped the head of the serpent, who rolled away the stone and gave us a feast because of your performance. That is the hope that we have. And we commit our lives to it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord some shout of praise in this place for his goodness? Thank you, Jesus. I want to sing this song of victory before you go. Listen, don't go anywhere. Can you stand on your feet right now? Don't leave. I promise you're going to beat everyone to the restaurants today. You came to the first gathering. But I, I don't want to leave here without leaving with a song of praise. So come on, let's lift our voice and lift our hands to the God who saves us.